You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is The Struggle is Real, Episode 10, with Loami Richardson. Welcome to Amazing Discoveries. My name is Loami Richardson, Evangelist for Saul Outreach, and what you are watching is a series entitled The Struggle is Real, and today we're going to be covering uh, step number seven in our section entitled The Seven Steps to Completion. If you haven't been watching the series, we have finally come to our last point. But if you haven't watched the series before, I want to encourage you to make sure to watch the previous six steps so that way this last step can make much more sense to you. So if you haven't watched, we're going to go quickly review over the steps that uh, we have been covering throughout this series. You see, God does his part and our job is to do our part as well in cooperation in allowing Christ to, uh, to complete us in his, it, through his love for us. And so we see God's part is that he draws us with his love. Our part is to not resist his drawing. You see, many times we have heard that it's easier for us to be lost than to be saved. But as we found out in our study that Christ is constantly wooing us, that is actually harder for us to be lost than to be saved. Our job is not to resist that drawing of his love and allow the love, his love, to take us where it needs to go. Step number two, as we come to the cross, we are then convicted of our sin, our righteousness, and a judgment is to come. And the reason why Christ convicts us of our sin isn't so that we can see how bad we are, but so that we can see our desperate need of him. And our part is to simply say, Lord, this is who I am. I acknowledge my guilt. I'm running to you and I'm asking you, please give me your righteousness. And so as we do that, Christ then gives us the gift of repentance, a gift that allows us to turn away from the life of sin so that way you and I don't have to commit that sin anymore. Our job then is to simply confess that sin, forsake it and give him our hearts, the one thing that he longs and he desires. Then God's part is that he not only forgives us from our sins. See, the cross is much more powerful than just forgiveness. The cross actually allows us to be cleansed, to be regenerated, and to be, and to be sanctified and empowered by his Holy Spirit to live a life that is pleasing and glorifying him. Our job is to simply believe it and accept it. Step number five, then Christ lives in us. He empowers us to live out the principles that he desires for us to live. And then our job is to simply live by that power and to bear the fruits that are necessary to demonstrate that we have been connected to the vine, Jesus Christ. Then every single time you and I, we struggle with one of the biggest things that we all struggle in our Christian experience, which is temptation. And as we are tempted, God makes a way of escape when we are tempted. Our job is to take God's way of escape and su submit to him in those moments. And so today's presentation, we're going to be discussing step number seven, that if for whatever reason we do not submit to God or find the way of escape that he has presented for you and I, that God will be our advocate if we choose to fall. But before we begin, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Invite the Holy Spirit to be with us as we open up our study today. Lord, we just want to thank you again for your for your love and for your grace. And as we conclude the seven steps to completion, I pray that we can understand the great work that your son Jesus Christ is doing for us in the heavenly sanctuary. We ask that you may forgive us for our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, dear Lord. Allow me to be a mouthpiece for you. I pray that your spirit may enlighten us and allow us to see beautiful truths out of your word today. We love you, we thank you, for we ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen. And so the final step, 
as we conclude, will be that we must repent and turn back to him. So before we get to that part, we are going to be discussing God's part, which is that he will be our advocate if we fall. I want you to notice what 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 states. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You see, Christ desires for us, for, to, for us to live a victorious and holy life. But if for whatever reason, the temptation that comes upon us, we do not choose to find God's way of escape. And if we fall, we do not need to despair. Christ will be our advocate. You see, every time I have taken God's way of escape by immediately submitting to him, I am, while I'm being tempted, he works in me the right attitude that I must possess whenever I am tempted, but he also keeps me from falling. I want you to notice in Bible Commentary, Volume 1, page 1085, what it states. The instant man accepted the temptations of Satan and did the very things God has said he should not do, Christ the Son of God stood between the living and the dead, saying, Let the punishment fall on me. I will stand in man's place, and he shall have another chance. As soon as you and, uh, you and I choose to, uh, to believe the lies of Satan, as soon as we fall into temptation, understand Jesus is right there. As soon as we say, Lord, forgive me, he is standing right there between us and, and, and the Father saying, Lord, let the punishment, the wages and the consequences of that sin fall on me. I will stand in Loami's place. I will give him another chance. Oh, brothers and sisters, that is great hope to know that if we decide to fall, that Christ is forever there, standing in between you and the Father, interceding and giving us another chance. So what does the advocate do? He gives us another chance to be able to get back up and to continue to live the life that he promised us to live. So this is why we notice in, in Bible Commentary, Volume 7, what it states, how careful is the Lord Jesus to give no occasion for the soul to despair. How he fences about the soul from Satan's fierce attacks. If through manifold temptations we are surprised or even deceived into sin, he does not turn from us and leave us to perish. No, no, that is not our Savior. Christ, pray for us. Oh, Jesus loves you so much that he's not going to leave you in that fallen temptation and that fallen condition. He wants to pick you back up. He is willing and able to not only forgive you, but to pick you back up and empower you not to fall into that temptation again. So even if we're surprised, even if we are deceived into sin, Christ will never, ever turn his back on us. This is why Romans 8 verse 34 says Christ is even at the right hand of God who is also making intercession for us. you got to understand that even while Peter was denying his Lord, Jesus was praying for him. He was longing to help him. You see, this is why Luke 22 verse 23 states that I pray for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You see, even while Peter was denying his Lord, Jesus was praying for him. He wanted to encourage him. He wanted to pick him back up. He says, listen, as you realize that I have picked you up in your moment of weakness, I want you to go and strengthen your brothers in their moments of weakness. You see, Christ is in the right hand there in heaven interceding for you and I. And we see here that, that uh, Christ's object lesson, page 156 states, that at the same compassion that reached out to rescue Peter is extended to every soul who has fallen under temptation. It is Satan's special device 
to lead man into sin and then leave him helpless and trembling, fearing to seek for pardon. You see, Christ has a compassion for you and I. That same compassion he extended out to Peter is the same compassion he, he extends to you and I. You see, Christ, uh, Satan's method is to lead us into temptation, tell us how good this temptation will make us feel, and then once we fall, he wants to leave us there dealing with the results of that sin. You see, brothers and sisters, even in my life, there's been moments in time where I knew I was tempted to do something I know I should not do. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, if it was Satan's uh, uh, will for his will to be done, he would have executed me and killed me at that very moment while committed that sin. But praise God that his grace is sufficient even enough for me. You see, Satan wants to leave you into sin. He wants to allow you to tremble in fear that you have no hope. But brothers and sisters, you can rest assured that there's intercession on the behalf of Jesus for you and for me. And so this is why it continues to state. But why should we fear when God has said, let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me and he shall make peace with me. Isaiah 27 verse 5. Every provision has been made for our infirmities. Every encouragement offered to come to Christ. Christ says, do not stay in your condition. I have made every provision possible for you to come to me. I have given you the spirit of guilt. I have given you the spirit of repentance. I have given you a desire to come to me. He says, use those uh, gifts that I've given you and I'll allow me to cleanse you and to restore you back to myself. This is why we should not fear about us, whether or not we are saved. If we're right with God today, we are right if he would come today. Brothers and sisters, he wants to make peace. He wants to reconcile. He wants to bring you back into himself. This is why Sons and Daughters, page 154 says, to go forward without stumbling, we must have the assurance that a hand all-powerful will hold us up and an infinite pity be exercised toward us if we fall. Notice that word, if, continues to be used. It is a choice of whether or not you and I fall into temptation or into sin. You see, if we have the insurance, if we believe that we can move forward without stumbling, we have to be assured. We have to believe in God's word that he will hold us with his right hand. We must have the insurance that Christ will hold us. And if we decide to let go of his hand, that he will always exercise pitying tenderness and love towards you and I. You see, God alone can at all times hear our cry for help. Oh, he looks at us as little children. He pities us when we fall into sin. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't look at us as, as children that are unworthy. He looks at us as something worthy to be saved. You see, even as children, when, they, when children fail, the parents scold them and punish them and discourage them. But you see, Jesus is not like that. Jesus picks them back up and he says, listen, don't allow this situation to define who you are. Allow me to pick you up. Allow me to speak my words of truth into your ear. Believe what I'm telling you. Understand that you have the power and the ability to overcome any tendencies of your life. And understand that I have a pity towards you. I love you with all of my heart, mind, and soul. This is why 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says that the Lord is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to a point of what? Of repentance. This is why God is allowing the things to happen in this world. He's wanting the world to see how loving, how long-suffering he is towards us. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to a point where they're tired of their sinful life and they turn away from that life and come and cling on to the arms of Jesus. This is why Patriots and Prophets states that the Lord bears long with the waywardness of men. And to all he grants opportunity to see and forsake their sins. 
Christ is bearing along with us. He knows that this journey is hard. He understands that the struggle is real, but he's giving us opportunity right now so that way we can confess our sins before God. This is why our heart calling, page 23, states that a silent witness guards every soul that lives seeking to win and to draw him to Christ. The angels never leave the tempted one to pray to the enemy who would destroy the souls of men if permitted to do so. As long as there is hope until they resist the Holy Spirit to their eternal ruin, men are guarded by heavenly intelligences. Understand that even the angels are there to cooperate in our salvation. Understand that Christ will never leave us unless we come to a point that we say, Lord, no matter how much you talk to me, no matter how much you convict me, I'm going to choose to do what I want to do. And out of love, he will respect it. But as long as there's a glimpse and a desire to not to live this, to not to live this life of sin, Christ is going to be there. The angels are going to be there to cooperate and to help you live this life. This is why education page 294 says that the divine teacher bears with the earring through all of their perversity. His love does not grow cold. Oh, good news. Jesus is forever loving us. His love does not grow cold. His efforts to win them do not cease. With outstretched arms, he waits to welcome again and again the earring, the rebellious and even the apostate. His heart is touched with the helplessness of the little child, subject to rough usage. The cry of every human suffering never reaches his ear in vain. Understand that Jesus loves you with a love that we cannot even begin to describe. Even in the midst of your perversity, even in the midst of your sin, his love does not grow cold. He's constantly wooing. He's constantly desiring you to come back home. And there he is with his outstretched arms. He's waiting for you. Doesn't matter how many times you turn your back again, uh, uh, you turn your back on him. He says, I'm welcoming you again and again. Even the rebellious child, even those who have separated themselves from the truth, those who are advocate or who, who do no longer advocate the truth, who fight against the truth. Christ is there with arms, hoping and willing and willing to take him home again. His heart is touched by those who can't help themselves. Christ's heart is touched by even the little child who's been subject to abuse. The ones who've been told that this child will never amount to anything. The one who, 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 who experienced emotional and physical abuse, even, even uh, uh, sexually abused. Christ is there, understanding the pain of that child. He understands the suffering of humanity. And I want you to notice what the statement states. Oh, this is beautiful. It says, Through all are the precious, though all are precious in his sight, the rough, bad-tempered, stubborn dispositions draw most heavy, heavily upon his sympathy and love. You see, the ones that are cast aside, the ones who people say they will never amount to anything, Christ looks at them even more precious than the rest. Oh, he loves those who, who, who everyone else thinks that they're no good. Brothers and sisters, I was that child. I was, I was stubborn. I was rough. I was bad-tempered. And yet Jesus saw me as something much more special than everyone else. He saw that there was something in me worth saving. When everyone told me I was a castaway, when everyone told me, listen, you will never amount to anything. There's no hope for Luami. Jesus looked at me. He says, yeah, you may think so. But for me, he's something so much precious and so beautiful. Notice, notice why he does it. For he traces from cause 
to effect. He understands why you and I have gotten to this point that we don't want to hear about religion. He understands the, uh, why we don't want to experience love and why we reject people out of our lives and why we rather live in a life of solitude. He understands it. He traces it from cause to effect. The one who is most easily tempted, the one who is easily more inclined to fall and, and, and most inclined to error is a special object of his solitude. Oh, you don't have to be good. He actually loves those who don't get anything right. He loves them even more because he sees something in you. He sees something in me worth saving. And that is the love that Jesus has for you and I. How often do we go to church? How often do we hear how we mistreat others and we say, man, this person will never uh, amount to anything. This bum on the street. Oh, this person at, at work can never get anything right. Man, there is no hope for this individual. Christ looks at that individual and he says, listen, I love him with a love that you can't even, I can't even begin to describe. Oh, he loves you. Oh, he wants to do something for you that you can't even see yourself doing. This is why Psalms chapter 103 says, Like a father, a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, and he remembers that we are but dust. He understands where we come from. We've came out of this world nothing, and we're going to die coming in this world as nothing. But yet he created something beautiful out of the dust of the ground. You see, he spoke everything else into existence. But when it came to humanity, when it came to you, when it came to me, he says, no, no, no. I want to create this, this dust, this dirt that is of no value. I want to create it into something beautiful. I want to create in him this, this, this ugly being. I want to create something beautiful and have a higher and greater purpose than what they're living for. I want you to notice what Steps to Christ, page 64, 64 states. We shall often have to bow down and weep at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because of our shortcomings and mistakes. But we are not to be discouraged. Even if we are overcome by the enemy, we are not cast off, not forsaken, and rejected of God. No, says the beloved John, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sins, he have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And do not forget the words of Christ. The Father himself loveth you, the right hand of God, who always also make his intercession for you. He desires to restore you to himself. He sees his own purity and holiness reflected in you. And if you will but yield yourself to him, he that hath begun a good work in you will carry it forward to the day of Jesus Christ. And then the statement concludes, pray more fervently, believe more fully. Jesus sees something in you. Oh, do you understand how much he loves you? Do you understand how much he values you? Do you understand how much he wants to use you for his glory? So many people may have told you that you're worth nothing, but in God's eyes, you're worth everything. He was willing to lay down his life for you, that hopeless child, for you, that individual that, seem can't, that, that, that seems that it can't get anything right. No, if we fall, we should not lose hope. We have a friend in Jesus who will advocate for us, who will sit there and say, Lord, let the punishment fall on me. Let this individual give in. Let this individual receive a second chance. You see, that I may know him states the following. All are fallible, all make mistakes and fall into sin. But if the wrongdoer is willing to see his errors as they are made plain by the convicting spirit of God and in humility of heart will confess them, then he may be restored. Christ is saying, listen, you, have, you may have made a mistake. You may have committed an error. You may have done things that you, uh, you there's no way that you will ever find it in yourself to forgive, you, uh, forgive yourself over. But if you simply say, Lord, 
This is who I am. This is what I've done. And I ask that you may restore me. Christ will do it all the time. This is why the question is asked. Have you fallen into sin? Then without delay, seek God for mercy and pardon. Mercy is still extended to the sinner. The Lord is calling to us in all wanderings, returning backslidden children, and I will heal your backslidings. The blessing of God may be ours if we will heed the pleading of, the, of his voice, of his spirit. As long as we are hearing that still small voice, brothers and sisters, there is still hope for you and I. If you have fallen into sin without delay, seek God for his mercy. Say, Lord, you promise that you'll forgive me if I confess and I confess to you that I've committed this sin again. I confess to you that this is who I am, but by your strength and your power, I don't want to be this way anymore. Return back to God. Do not allow Satan to have victory in your life by keeping you in that sin. This is why Christ's object lesson states the following. Remember this. Oh, this is a beautiful blessing. If you have made mistakes, you certainly gain a victory if you see these mistakes and regard them as beacons of warning. So understand, even when we have made mistakes, even when we have fallen, those are actually victories. Why? Because when we confess to God, Lord, this is what I have done. The next time we are tempted, we are reminded how we fell and we can say, Lord, this is how I fell. Give me the strength not to fall into this thing again. So even in our failures, we gain victory. Oh, brother, brother, sis, this gets me excited. And notice, it is regarded them as beacons of warning. Thus, you turn defeat into victory. So you may have been the most defeated Christian in all of humanity, in all of the world, but you can turn your defeats into victory today. You see, you can disappoint the enemy and you can honor your redeemer. You see, Satan may have tripped you up. He may have tempted you into believing that that sin was going to give you pleasure and he wants to keep you there. But as soon as he said, you know what? I know I've made mistakes, but I want to take those mistakes and allow them to become victories. What you do at that very moment, you disappoint Satan and you honor Jesus Christ. So don't let your mistakes define who you are. Get rise up. Get up. Let Jesus restore you. Allow him to do the work that he desires to do in you. This is why 2 Chronicles 30 verse 19 says, For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if, that word if, is a condition. You must do your part. He will not turn his back on you. He will be gracious and merciful towards you if you simply return back to him. You don't have to run away from God anymore. You can come to him just as you are. And he says, here I am with my arms extended wide. I will take you back again and again and again. That's the God that we serve. That is who Jesus is. And so, brothers and sisters, we see that God's part is that he will be our advocate if we fall. But our part is to simply repent and turn back to him. And so that's what we're going to be discussing in this section here. Our part is to repent, confess and turn back to him. I want you to notice what Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 30 states. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgression, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all of your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live. You see, Christ wants us to repent, to turn away from our lives of sin. He says, why would you die in your sins? Why would you continue to live a life that's not going to be pleasing to you and to me? Come back to me. 
Why would you die in the, in the condition that you're in? I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit. Just come to me. Turn yourselves away from that life. Come to me and live. Notice what our Father cares, page 179 states. If we are overcome, let us not delay to repent and to accept the pardon that will place us on vantage ground. If we repent and believe, that word if always applies a condition. It's our part. If we repent and believe, the cleansing power from God will be ours. His saving grace is freely offered. Not one sinner need to be lost. Full and free is a gift of saving grace. Oh, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that that grace can even save a soul like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Oh, brothers and sisters, that is the grace that Jesus wants to pour out on you. He says, listen, you don't need to be lost. If you can just simply believe that I can forgive you, if you simply believe that I can give you the power to overcome, if you believe that I have forgiven you, then simply repent. Say, Lord, I don't want this life anymore. I believe that you can make me whole. I believe that you can restore me into your image. And then grace is freely offered. Oh, that's the grace that he wants to give to you and I. This is why 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we read this passage again. The Lord is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is going to wait as long as he needs to wait for you to come back home. He is willing and able and, and desiring to do whatever he, wants, he needs to do in order for you to come home to him. So that way no one has an excuse to not be in heaven with him. Faith and works, page 35, page 35 states, God does not give us up because of our sins. Hallelujah. He does not give us up because of our sins. We make, make mistakes, grieve his spirit. But when we repent and come to him with contrite hearts, he will not turn us away. Oh, praise Jesus. We do not have to be, uh, 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 we don't have to be conduced to the life of sin anymore. He does not turn us back because of our sins. In reality, what he wants us to do is to repent, to come to him with a broken heart and say, Lord, do not turn away. Accept me, and he will. Notice, there are hindrances to be removed, wrong feelings that have been cherished, and there have been pride, self-sufficiency, impatience, and murmurings. All these separate us from God. But since must be confessed, there must be a deeper work of grace in the heart. You see, these are the sins that separate us from, from God. But Christ wants us to deep, dig deeper, to really analyze our hearts, to humble ourselves, to test ourselves, to prove ourselves whether or not we're still in the faith. Christ wants to remove every sin, every hindrance from our lives. This is why Selected Message Volume 1 states that there is no safety, no reports, no justification in transgression of the law. Man cannot hope to stand innocent before God and at peace with him through the merits of Christ while he continues in sin. He must cease to transgress and become loyal and true. There's no safety, brothers and sisters. If we say, yes, God is merciful. I've been hearing and feeling his presence. I understand his love better. Brothers and sisters, that is great. But there is no safety if we continue to reject that love, to reject that spirit and continue to live a life of sin, a life that we know that is contrary to God's will. You see, if you know there's things that you know you ought to do and you're not doing it, the book of James says that that's to you. It is a sin. Christ cannot save us in our sins. He came to save us from our sins. We must cease to transgress. This is why it states that every day that you remain in sin, you are in Satan's ranks, and should you sicken and die without repentance, you would be lost. Again, this goes back to what I was saying before. 
Satan's great plan is for him to deceive you into believing that the life of sin is going to be pleasurable. Is it? Absolutely, because it's what our hearts desire. But you see, the book of Hebrews says that that sin, that life of sin, only brings pleasure, pleasure for a season. And what Satan wants, us, wants to ultimately do, if he had his way, is that he wants to tempt us into sin. And as we fall, he wants to kill us off, never to be able to repent from that life of sin. Many times, brothers and sisters, I woke up drunk, woke up the next morning, not knowing how I got home. I got into myself in situations where guns were pulled, gunshots were fired, and for sure I thought my life was going to be taken. And yet I escaped. It was only by God's grace that allowed me to see another day. This is why his mercies are renewed every morning. This is why we should be thankful. Lord, if it was Satan's will, he would have killed me yesterday. But because I have breath in my lungs and the ability to speak and to praise your name, I thank you for giving me an, another opportunity to be able to draw to you. You see, one sin, unrepented of, is enough to close the gates of heaven against you. It was because man could not be saved with one stain of sin upon him that Jesus came to die on Calvary's cross. One sin unrepented of, is an, it, it has enough power to close out all of God's blessings to save you. Again, it goes back to that illustration I mentioned before. If I took a sip out of a bottled water and put a little drop of rat poison and shake it up, would that, is that water contaminated? The answer is yes. You wouldn't drink it because you know what it can do to you. And so it is sin. The results of sin is death. Even one little sin, even one little sin cherished, even if it's appetite, even if it's our pride, even if it's our, our love and our, our, and, and our desire to gossip, that one little sin can undo everything that God is desiring to do. This is why Jesus had to die on the cross, because there was no other way for us to, to, to escape this life of sin. And so we see Signs of the Times states that your only safety is in coming to Christ and seizing from sin this very moment. The sweet voice of mercy is sounding in your ears today, but who can tell if it will sound tomorrow? This is why today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we must give our hearts fully to God. The only safety that we have is to confess our sins before him and cease that life of sin and completely submit to Jesus. This is why the Bible states in Isaiah 55, verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while ye may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will do what? He will abundantly pardon. Oh, but it gets better. Even notice what Psalms 34, 18 says, That the Lord is nigh unto them that are brokenhearted and saveth such as to be of a contrite heart. Christ comes near to those who are brokenhearted for this life of sin that they have committed. Understand that he is there willing to forgive you, willing to embrace you, willing to take you back into his arms. And he understands that the life of sin causes heartbreak. He understands that life of sin will only bring you great pain. But it's those that comes with a contrite heart, a broken heart, that Christ says, listen, I will take you back into my arms as long as you're willing to allow me to. And so we see that selected message or testimonies volume to, uh, to the church, volume four, page 178 says, when man has sinned against a holy and merciful God, he can pursue no course so noble as to, as to sincerely repent and confess his errors in tears and bitterness of the soul. This God requires of him, he will accept of nothing less than a broken and contrite heart. 
So, brothers and sisters, how do we develop a heart that is broken and contrite? It's simply by meditating and focusing on the sacrifice of the cross that Jesus has paid for you and I. It's meditating on those final scenes of his life and seeing why did Jesus go through so much agony and pain to save someone like me? I don't deserve to be saved, but yet he loves me. Yet there's something about me that drives him crazy. There's something about me that brings him joy, that brings a smile to his face, that, that, that he, he, he was willing to come down to this earth and live a life full of pain and misery so that way he can give me a life of joy and peace. He will accept nothing less than a broken heart, brothers and sisters. And I realized when I needed Jesus, that when my heart was broken, it only was broken because I saw the love that he had for me. And so if you do not understand what it means to have a contrite heart, then I encourage you, spend some time with Jesus. Spend some time in understanding what he has done at, 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 at Calvary's cross for you and I. This is why 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins. If you and I, who are believers of Jesus, Christians, uh, uh, come to him and say, Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm humbling you. I'm humbling myself before you and saying, Lord, this pride that I have, this life of sin, I realize I don't want it anymore. I'm praying to you. I'm seeking you out. I want to turn away from this life. Jesus says, and he promised, he will hear you and he says he will forgive you. This is why Testimonies to the Church, Volume 1, says that the people of God must move understandingly. They should not be satisfied until every known sin is confessed. Then it is their privilege and duty to believe that Jesus accept them. You know, I don't want this, this quotation to be confusing at, at all. And you see, there is a overall conversion that takes place. You see, in my conversion experience, I remember when I gave my heart to Christ, I had to believe that Jesus forgave me for every sin that I've ever committed. Now, that would take a long time for me to sit there and think of every single sin that I've ever committed from the time I was born to that moment that I gave my heart to Jesus. What God is ultimately doing is doing this. What he does is this. He forgives us for our past sins. But as we continue to grow in him, there are times that Christ brings things to remembrance from our past life that we may not have specifically repented for. And the reason why he asks us to, or he brings that to our remembrance is so that way we can acknowledge that this may be an area that we are still struggling with. And then at that moment, Christ says, if I bring it to your remembrance, I want you to simply ask me to forgive you. And of course, I will forgive you and I'll give you the power in case in the future, if you ever, if you ever fall into this temptation, you will have a way to escape it and not fall into it. I remember driving through, um, back in the day, we used to go to uh, J-Mart, used to buy these uh, t-shirts and there was this hangout spot that we used to go to. And I remember as we were going, I was driving by years after I, I gave my heart to Jesus and I was reminiscing on all the times we used to hang out there on Saturday afternoons. And the spirit revealed to me, he says, Lomi, you do know that you was violating my Sabbath during those times. Now, I've already asked God to forgive me for all of my sins when I gave my heart to him. But there was a moment during that, that conversation that I was uh, uh, kind of enjoying and re reminiscing on that life that I was living. And so Christ had to remind me, understand, you may have been enjoying it but you was outside of my will. You was violating my commandment. And so I said, Lord, you know what? Forgive me. Forgive me for violating your Sabbath during the times that I knew better. And the Lord forgave me. I know he forgave me. He brought it to my remembrance to remind me of who I was and what I can be in him. You see, God always deals with known sins, but we must remember 
that all secret sins are known sins to him. There are not unconscious sins, but only you and God knows what they are. There must all be surrendered, confessed, and forgiven. So those sins that we hold dear to our hearts that no one else knows, God knows. He wants you to confess those sins as well. Believe, and Christ says that he will forgive you. So notice what it says in Selected Messages. The law of God takes note of the jealousy, the envy, the hatred, the magnanimity, the revenge, the lust, and ambition that surge through the soul but have not found expression in outward action because the opportunity, not the will, has been wanting. You see, God takes down notes of all of our secret sins. You see, this is why Jesus stated that if you, you know, you have heard that if you commit adultery, uh, that if you have slept with a woman, right, that you have committed adultery. But Jesus says that if you lust in your heart after a woman, you have already committed adultery into your, in your heart. Why did Jesus do that or say that? Because given in our hearts, we desire that sin. And the only reason why we didn't do it is not because we didn't desire it, but because we didn't have the opportunity to commit it. And so Jesus looks at that and says, even though you may not have committed that sin, if you're given the opportunity, I know you would have done it. And so all of heaven is writing down, yep, the jealousy, the envy, the hatred, the revenge, the lust, the ambition, all of these things that separates us from God, that, that, that with given the opportunity, we, it, we would have done it. All these sinful emotions will be brought into the account in the day when God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You see, there may be sins of ignorance, but God takes care of those. God takes care of those sins that you may not, uh, that you may not remember. But those sins that you do possess in your heart that you desire to have, and that if, if you could do this sin and no one would ever know you would do it, Christ says, listen, I have dotted that down. This is why we should not be so focused on our outward actions, but instead asking the Lord to cleanse us from all of our righteousness. Created me a clean heart, O oh God, and put the right spirit within me. You see, early writings, page 254, says that Jesus stands before the ark, making his final intercession for all those from whom mercy still lingers and for those who have ignorantly broken the law of God. This atonement is made for the righteous dead as well as the righteous living. It includes all who died trusting in Christ, but who, not having received the light upon God's commandments, has sinned ignorantly in, trans in transgressing its precepts. So even the sins of ignorance, God forgives those. But Christ is there willing to forgive every sin in your life. This atonement is made for every single human being that's ever lived, that died, and is living even today. This is why Bible commentary states that Jesus has made atonement for all sins of ignorance, but there is no provision made for willful blindness. All of the sins that you may not remember, God has forgiven you for those. But those sins that you know that you should confess and you haven't, Christ says, I can't forgive you for something you don't confess to me. This is why I am sending my spirit. This is why I'm convicting you. This is why I'm pressing you for you to utter out of your mouth, Lord, this is what I've been doing in my heart. Lord, this is the sins that I've been committing. And Christ says he will forgive those sins. So the sins that you may not remember, Christ has already made an atonement for those sins. But there is no provision. There is no way that God can save you in your sins, knowing that there's sins that you must confess and you do not confess it before God. This is why we must humble ourselves. Why? Because pride will not allow us to come to Christ and confess that we wronged him. Testimonies of the church states that 
God's eyes does not slumber. He knows every sin that is hidden from mortal eye. The guilty know just what sins to confess that their souls may be clean before God. Jesus is now giving them the opportunity to confess, to repent in deep humility and purify their lives by obeying and living out the prince of living out the truth. So understand, there's been moments in my experience, and if I know there's no new thing under the sun, so if I've experienced it, you may have experienced it as well. I remember there's been moments in my life where I'll sit there and I have an anger towards a good friend of mine. You know, my friend didn't come through when I expected him. He says, yeah, I I'm going to come through. And he didn't come through when, when I expected him to. And so I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, yeah, I just want to say thank you again for this day. Uh, uh, I want to bless the food that I'm about to eat. And, 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 I'm, and I'm trying to act like God doesn't really read my heart. He knows that there's this anger and, and, and bitterness towards my friend that didn't come through for me because he promised he was going to do something. He didn't do it. And I'm sitting here trying to pray around that feeling and that emotion and God is wondering to my thinking to he's he's communicating to me why are you hiding that from me I see it I, I see directly what you're what you're trying to do and so you know what I had to do I had to come to God and say Lord you're right I can't pretend you can see exactly what's going on in my heart so I confess to you I'm upset I am mad that my friend did not come through I am I oh I'm I, I don't know what I'll do if I see him right now and to be honest, I don't even know if I want to confess. I'm confessing it, but I don't even know if I'm really repentant of it. You see, my God, he's a good friend. He says, I understand. But can you give me your heart and I can change that for you? I don't know. I, I, I like holding on to this resentment. I want to have a reason to yell at him and curse at him. I, 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 I have the right, God. God says, yeah, you do have the right. You do have the right. You're right. You can keep it. It's up to you. But is it going to make you feel better after it's all said and done? I was thinking to myself, uh, maybe not. So can you give me your heart? Can you give me that sin that you won't confess, that you're holding dear to, knowing that I can read it, knowing that you're holding on to it and you're trying to pray around it? And so finally I said, Lord, here it is. And do you want to know what happened as soon as I, as I confessed that thing? I get a phone call not even 10 minutes later. Bro, I just want to apologize for not coming through. Imagine if I would have held that bitterness and I could receive that phone call. Do you think I would have really forgave him? No. But this is how we communicate with God. This is how we have a relationship with him. This is how we can be honest with him because he knows us better than we know ourselves. You see, true confessions, according to Steps of Christ says, is always of a specific character and acknowledges particular sins. You see, we, we are so accustomed to saying, Lord, forgive me for my sins. I'll say, okay, which one? Well, all of them. Okay, but which one do you feel bad about committing? So Christ wants us to be very particular as to what we're confessing. True confession is always of specific character. Lord, I lusted today. Lord, there was a point in my heart that I wish nothing but mad, uh, bad intentions for my good friend. Lord, I'm not going to lie. I have pride and jealousy in my heart. How does this person get the opportunity to speak at this place and I don't get to? See, I'm confessing God, a specific character, and I'm acknowledging my particular sin. They may be of such a nature as to be brought before God only. They may be wrongs that should be confessed to individuals who have suffered injury through them. Or they may be of a public character and should then be as a publicly confessed. But all confession should be definite and to the point, acknowledging the very sins of which you are guilty. So you see, when we confess our sins, whether to God, 
we must be specifically or specific. And when we confess our sins to our fellow man, whether it be privately, then we go to that individual privately. But if it's a public sin, then we must confess it publicly. Now, we don't make a confession and say, knowing what the specific issue is and try to work around that, uh, that sin, we have to be very clear and to the point. Brothers and sisters, I have to understand, I, have, I, I said some things the other day, yesterday, that, that, that hurt some people, and I wanted to specifically apologize for this incident. You see, if there's a public sin, then I must address that sin publicly. If it's something that I did <clears throat> to an individual, then I must go to that individual and specifically say, listen, forgive me for this particular thing that I have done to you. True confession is very specific, whether it be privately or publicly. But brothers and sisters, Christ is willing and able to cleanse us from all of our sins. We've read this passage over and over again. First John chapter one, verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Christ is willing to forgive us for all of our sins, not just one or two. He wants to make you whole and understand that if we fall, he is there advocating for us. But I want you to notice the next quotation. There is only one provision made for the transgressor, transgressor, faithful repentance and confession of sin and faith in the cleansing blood of Christ will bring forgiveness and pardon will be written against his name. Oh, that is good news. Because here it is in my life of sin. Here it goes, Loami, lust. Yep, Loami steals. Yep, Loami committed all of these sins. Here it is that as, as long as I come to him in, in, in faith, knowing that he has given me the opportunity to live a life anew. And I confessed and I said, Lord, forgive me. By my name is written forgiven. It is blotted. My sins are blotted out by his blood. And by my name, it says, Loami, forgiven. That is good news. But I must have, I must have faith that Jesus is willing to cleanse me. I have to have faith that that blood is willing to pardon all of my sins. Brothers and sisters, your name in the book right now can be smeared by his blood and in it can be written by your name, forgiven, forgiven. You can live a new life even today. And this is why Psalms chapter 32 states that blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and whose spirit there is no guile. Blessed is the person whose sins are forgiven, who has not hidden their sins, but confessed it before God. And this is why we read, in, we read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all of our sin. You see, brothers and sisters, this is the God that we serve. And you see, the only way that you and I can ever come to a point to truly feel repentant for the sins that we've committed is by analyzing the cross, analyzing the sacrifice that Jesus was willing to commit or willing to endure for you and I. You see, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Glory, glory. This I sing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. All my praise for this I bring. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other font I know. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing but the blood of Jesus. Are you willing to be cleansed today? Have you been living a life contrary to God's will? 
as you've been going through the steps in this series of The Struggle is Real, we come to conclude that, yes, I've been struggling, but this struggle is a beautiful struggle. It's a struggle that indi indicates that there is a life in me that desires to do what God wants me to do. And we see that Christ is willing to shed his blood to give you a new opportunity, to give you a new chance. And so the question is, will you be willing to accept it? Would you allow his blood to cleanse you from all of your sins? You can let go of your past even now. You can let, let go of your past today. You can be a new creation, a new creature. You don't have to allow the consequences of sin to, to ultimately define who you are. You can be a whole new creation. You see, brothers and sisters, if I allowed my past to dictate who I am, there'll be no way I can be speaking to you right now. And so because I understood of the power of the blood of Jesus is why I am standing here before you today. I am a walking testimony, brothers and sisters, that this message is real, that his love is, 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 is lasting and everlasting, and that his blood is willing to cleanse every single sin in your life. So my question is, are you willing to accept him? Are you willing to allow the blood to do the cleansing that is necessary for us to be restored into new creatures? Are you willing to accept that blood? If so, let us seal that decision with a word of prayer. Father, we just want to thank you again for your love, for your grace. And Lord, we have completed the seven steps. And Father, allow us to be reminded that we must follow these steps every single day. To understand that you love us. To understand that you have given us the power to overcome sins. To understand that you have given us the gift of repentance, the gift to allow us to feel guilt so we can run to you. To understand that the struggle in of itself, the desire to do what is you, the desire that you would have us to do and follow your precepts and your law is a gift from you. So Lord, allow us to look at the struggle as something beautiful, not as something that will keep us away from you. And so Lord, by your grace and by your power, we claim the victory and the merits of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for allowing us to go through this study. Thank you so much for allowing us to go through this 10-part series entitled The Struggle is Real and going through the seven steps of completion. And Lord, as we conclude, I pray that you will forever remind us of how much you love us. Allow us to never let go of your mighty right hand and do the work that we cannot do in ourselves. We love you. We thank you. For we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If this episode impacted you, Please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit AmazingDiscoveries.org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.